from the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services, Children's Service, Mail Stop W14-4, Information Packet ADA 870, Foster Care, Section 4, Foster Parents, Point 6, Can you keep loving a child who, because of fear of rejection, may not love you back or acts ungrateful for the good things you do for him or her? In our day, we're not used to government officials asking a question of such incredible depth. (laughs) Can you keep loving in the face of rejection? The reactions of a child with fear of rejections are all too predictable. You decide to show them love by buying them a gift. They just toss it behind them and walk off. You decide you'll do something for them to show what true love is. Your hours of effort are met with a lazy shoulder shrug and a look of boredom. Maybe if I spend some time with this child focusing on them, halfway through a day dedicated to that child, They want to know if you're going to keep them trapped all day. (laughs) You find every good thing you can about them, who they are, what they do, and you pour out compliment after compliment. What do you keep saying all that crap for? (laughs) Maybe if I carefully just hold her hand as I talk to her. Maybe I could put my arm around his shoulder. Don't touch me! Why would he do this? All we want to do is care for them, to shower them with love. Perhaps they do it because they want to avoid the reality of rejection. If their own parents couldn't love them enough to keep them, why should they expect that we will? So they don't accept that there is even a possibility for that which they desperately want. To be loved absolutely and unconditionally. This type of reaction is seen regularly in foster kids. It's not uncommon in adoptive children either. Shoot, any natural children wonder, <laughs> can I? Certainly those who know only one parent, you see more of it there, but even some that live with both of their birth parents struggle with love. What is the proper response with these kids? Can we keep loving a child who, because of fear of rejection, may not love us back or acts ungrateful for the good things that we do for him or her. Can we keep on loving even though it's hard? Love is patient. (sighs) Yes? (laughs) How much patience must one have, okay? (laughs) To keep on loving to be faithful 
to be steadfast in love. It won't stretch our minds a lot to recognize adults who have a similar uh, reaction (laughs) against the love of God. They throw the gift of God in the dirt and trample it underfoot. (laughs) Right? All he has done for them they regard as nothing. The time he has spent to reach them is scorned. Although he called to them over and over, they turn a deaf ear. When he reaches out to touch them, They push him away. Why? Well, maybe they look at the sin in their lives and they say, God could never forgive me. So I ask and hear him laugh in my face. Okay, they actually never say anything that smart. They don't really focus that well. Instead, they say something like, if I walked through the door of the church, the building would collapse. You know, that's that's what they actually say. But maybe they're thinking... God would reject them. Could it be that these people's fear of rejection overwhelms any possibility of accepting love? I don't believe God will love me, so I come close to him just to get slapped down. Or maybe they think God might love them at first, but then later, what if I commit a big sin just before I die? In other words, what's the point of trying to be saved if God will just throw me in hell after I mess up? Well, we'd say, if God did choose you, he will not unchoose you. (laughs) The truth is that they don't think God can do what he says he will do. That he will do what he says he will do. It's not that they don't trust us, by the way, when we talk. They don't trust God. What is our response to kids who reject our love? What is God's response to his kids? It is hesed. English doesn't have a word like hesed, in case you were wondering. It's not an English word. Hesed in relation to human love and care for one another, it reflects a solemn commitment to the relationships concerned, they tell us. Biblical examples include the amazing friendships of David and Jonathan, if you read that, Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law Naomi, and later Boaz's love for Ruth. These are all wonderful examples. They're all over the Bible. But Hesed is more than that. It is one of the most important Hebrew words in regards to God's covenant with the children of Israel. A quick reminder. The children, the people of God, at that time, at that point in God's plan, were those of Israel or those who identified with the covenant of God that he had with Israel. And God expressed hesed for his people. Hesed, they tell us, is very difficult to translate. Uh, sometimes the English word mercy is used. You see that? Or kindness, or loyalty, or faithfulness, loving kindness, or steadfast love. The semantic range of the term is rich and complex, <laughs> the language guys tell us. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> One particular language guy that I knew, Dr. Herman Ostell, was a professor of mine. After more than 50 years of translating the Bible 
and studying the words that make it up in incredible detail, he gave a talk on this one word, hesed. Just that one word. It, in my life, <laughs> I've heard little that impressed me more. One word. Certainly, the hesed of God, it was clear when we watched him speak. It impressed Dr. Rostell, and I'm not just talking about his mind. With reference to Yahweh, one commentator wrote, Hased commonly refers to his steadfast love, signifying an irrevocable commitment to his promise to fashion a people to serve him, whom he in turn promised to love and protect. Remember now, this is a Hebrew word. It deals with that time in God's plan when the children of Israel were the people of God. As one man quite correctly said, the right understanding of the term is bound up with its relationship to the divine covenant of God with Israel. So keep that in mind as we go. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This glorious little psalm is neatly divided into four sets or stanzas after its unique introduction, uh, by the way. Um, a note on the introduction to psalms. We don't know... If they are original, did the original author put them there or were they added as kind of information later? We just don't know. Uh, but in any case, they don't contradict or cause a problem with the scriptures anywhere. So they're very useful, but we're, we're not going to spend any time in the introduction day. It's kind of self-explanatory. But we are interested in the four stanzas. The first and the third stanzas are about our proper reactions to God. The second and fourth are about the Lord himself, who he is, what he does. This is a poetic attempt, remember, to describe the covenant relationship of God with his people. A covenant is a binding agreement. God has bound himself in a way to his people. In this case, God has agreed to make the children of Israel his people in the land that he gave to them. And that is the subject of this poem. And in a sense, it's also about God's covenant with us who believe now. I love what this thought, this particular thought about the 100th Psalm. It is a taste of what is still the promised land. Isn't that beautiful? All right, we're going to consider each of the four stanzas independently. But before we do each one, I'd like us all to read the words of the psalm together. Hopefully, by the end, you'll be able to quote it by heart. When we are ready to read, you'll see this. Congregational reading at the top of the screen up there. See that? So when you see that, that means you're going to read with me. We're all going to read it together. So let's go ahead and start. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 
Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The command is to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. David, most people think he wrote this psalm, started with make a joyful noise to the Lord. And he ends this stanza with come into his presence with singing. Okay, These phrases surround the main point. Serve the Lord with gladness. Right at the beginning, let's be clear. Singing to the Lord is serving him. Okay? We, okay, well, I, I can't speak for you. I often think of serving the Lord as work. you got to be doing something for the Lord, right? That's serving the Lord is doing something, isn't it? This singing thing, well, make a joyful noise to the Lord. That just sounds like fun. Not serving, right? But isn't this the point of the main point? (laughs) Serving God should make our hearts glad. Now, as it happens, I like to work. (laughs) Work makes me glad, so that's not a problem. But sometimes we need to serve him, like we do most Sunday mornings, by just singing out to him. That's truly serving him. And note that the command includes all the earth. That means all people, not just Israelis, not even then. This is, this is, of course, an ideal. We don't really actually think that everyone will join us in this pouring out of praise to God. We're, we're, not, we're not crazy. We realize it's an ideal. Eventually, in the new creation... All, every person on the earth will sing to the Lord. And I do think that David had this in mind as he penned these words. For certain, the Holy Spirit, who knows the future, (laughs) I think he was definitely envisioning the day when he inspired these words. Another reminder, the Lord, in our English translations, that's a translation of God's name, Yahweh, the deep respect that these people had for God was expressed by their never saying the name. (laughs) Okay, they never said it out loud, ever. Even when they wrote it, they would, each and every time, they would use a brand new pen, a new quill, to express their reverence for God. Just writing his name required a new quill. You can't write it with something that wrote something else. That's the reverence they had. So that's why we don't, see it in our translations directly as Yahweh, but that's what the Lord actually translates. The point here is that this expresses the reality of God as creator, as redeemer. It's it's the whole picture of who God is. The Lord says everything that way. That's what you're supposed to remember. Now, we said that the main point, serve the Lord with gladness, is surrounded by that pair of musical expressions. But the main point is service. Okay? <laughs> Service can be singing thanks and praises to him, but it is primarily the doing of humble works for him, like being a servant. 
we must start with humble activity, serving one another. Like Jesus, when he washed the feet of his disciples, right? And when we do, we can come into his presence. In fact, when we do humbly serve him, we do come into his presence. And usually with joyful singing. And especially we who are the church should do so. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to the Throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Sounds very much like come into his presence with singing, doesn't it? (laughs) The difference is that when David wrote the psalm, he had a clue, a hint of the depth of God's love. We have the reality. And none of this joy, gladness, or singing is possible without serving the Lord And how is it that we are able to serve the Lord? Because of his chesed. Let me show you. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. Sing or serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I'll try to give you a better heads up next time. (laughs) Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We got a a glimpse of a nation in trouble the other day last week. They lacked a certain bit of knowledge without which they were destined for destruction. What did the nation need to know? What Elijah's name meant. The Lord is God. If we want to have joy in our hearts such that we sing in his presence, then we have to know who God is. David starts with what the people of that later time with Elijah needed to know. Yahweh is God. The name Yahweh is associated with what God told Moses. I am who I am. Who are you? Who should I say sent me? Tell him I am who I am. Only God has absolute self-existence. No need for anyone or anything else. Only God has that. The one word description, if you want to have a new word for your, for your vocabulary, is aseity. God alone has aseity. Yahweh is God. He and he alone can and does exist completely in and of himself. And this description says so much. Obviously, he must be eternal, right? Because nothing else can exist without him. He has to always be there. He must be all-powerful because there's nothing that can cause him to be or not to be. And all things 
exist only through him. There are, of course, other things this points to, but David chooses to focus on one particular one, God as creator. And watch the progression of this wonderful little stanza. He made us, so we are his. Yes, but he also made the rocks, and they're his. (laughs) I'm not a rock, so I don't know this is true, but I'm pretty sure rocks don't think about their relationship with God. Okay? And yet they are just as much his as we are. All creation is his. But David goes on, we are his people. Which brings up a pretty big question. What's a person? I read an article, The Principle of Natural Law Theory. I was trying to go to sleep. <laughs> no, not really. But, but he had some very interesting thoughts. The classic definition of a person is provided by 6th century Roman jurist named Bothius, who gave this definition. A person is an individual substance of a rational nature. We are all rational, for the most part. (laughs) But we are also separate from each other. We are individual persons. The reason Bothius went to such effort in forming this statement was that back then they had no single word for person, for all individual substance of a rational nature. They didn't have a word for that. They had a word for man, they had a word for woman, they had a word for child, they had angel even. But there was no word that included gods, for they had many angels and all human beings as rational beings in one collective term. They didn't have a word like persons. So they borrowed a word from acting, actually. (laughs) The key element is to identify the properties, the traits, and the powers that make possible the identification of this individual substance according to a specific nature, namely, rationality. Rocks may be God's rocks, but they can't rationally choose him. This is the case whether it be a God operating as a God should, an angelic presence operating the way angels do, or a human being in the full, mature, healthy, normal sense, showing and exhibiting that rationality. Keep with me here. This gets good in a while. Important to our thoughts today is that rationality includes the ability to intercommunicate back and forth with one another. But whereas God has always been God and angels appear to have always been been what angels are, they don't grow up, humans have a process of development. Now, please listen closely to this conclusion as concerns our identity as human persons. Hence the term person is designed to identify that type of being that we are, which is so different from the rest of the animal creation and is capable of making us similar to gods and angels, namely having rationality and having a kind of uniqueness by virtue of that rationality. The early people may have believed in multiple gods, but they understood an important point. What we are, who we are as persons, makes us capable of being similar to God and even angels. We are people, human persons, 
Because God made us to understand and communicate. That's why we're human persons. That's what describes us. We can contemplate and interact with God. We are individually unique, each of us. And, this is very important, have the capacity of being similar to God. Being like God. There is a sense in which all people are similar to God. We're all made in his image. But David says we are not just people, we are his people. <laughs> that means, yes, he created us, but also after we sinned, he redeemed us from our fallen, afraid-to-love state. So, David says, the Lord's people are redeemed by him. And if he made us his and redeemed us so that we are his people, then we are the sheep of his pasture. I don't personally know any shepherds, but back then almost everybody did. And they knew that shepherds don't just own the sheep. Their care for their flocks was legendary. Everybody knew it. Yahweh protects and preserves his sheep. He knows each sheep by name. He counts the hairs in their head. He is their sanctification all because of his hased. And by the way, sheep follow their shepherd. Yes? Why? Because they have learned his hased, his loving kindness. Okay, for the third stanza, let's read together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Just as David calls out in the first stanza to make a joyful noise as one comes into his presence, so, now, so he now says to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Don't know whether this was written for this purpose or not, but it appears this psalm was used at the start of temple worship. They worshipped in a temple. You can imagine they're singing this as they walk towards the temple for worship, entering the gates and then into the various courts, Right? Today, of course, we are the temple of God. <laughs> That's We're the temple. There is no temple you go to to worship God. We're it. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Now, when we give thanks and bless his name, it's because he has entered our minds and hearts. Is God not great? I mean, isn't that wonderful? Note David's double pair. Thanksgiving praise, thanks, bless his name. See how he did that? We do the same thing. When it's important, we double up. Yes, yes. No, no. Really, I mean it. Yes, I do. That's what we do. We do things like that. You may have heard this one. Truly, truly, I say to you. Hmm? And they are, remember, singing this. Words in singing and sometimes in reciting poetry they found, they actually form in a different part of our brains. It involves a whole other part of who we are. 
In other words, it carries it beyond just an intellectual effort and makes it more of an emotive cry. So expressing their thanks doubly in this way helps to draw their whole being into worship. That's what's going on here. Besides, after we understand the second stanza, know that the Lord, He is God, it is He who has made us, and we are His, we are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. When we understand that, we can understand praising Him. (laughs) In fact, how can we not give Him thanks? That they were able to enter His gates should have resulted in praise. In our case, as those who are His temple, (laughs) blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We get to be with God forever, so we will praise him forever. And why will we be able to praise the Lord forever? Oh yeah, because of his hased, his loving kindness. Alright, for the fourth stanza, let's read together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love, his said, endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Good describes the very nature of God. When David wrote this psalm, there were no other gods. Remember they believed in lots of gods then. There were no other gods who were called good. Oh, they might be good sometimes. But you never knew what they were going to do next. (laughs) Maybe treat you well in one moment and then kill you in the next. So the psalmist was making an incredible claim. God is good always and forever. Forever past this hased was expressed by each person of the Trinity for the others. Father expressed steadfast love to the Son and to the Spirit. The Spirit expressed steadfast love to the Father and the Son. The Son expressed steadfast love to the Father and the Spirit. And this will be true for all of the future. But also, now, this psalm says that his people, in fact, all generations of his people would experience this as said forever. We are united to David and all those who learned God's has said back then. The Lord is good. <laughs> and his faithfulness to all generations. We can have confidence that he expressed and expresses has said now and forever. Why would we ever be afraid of God? Why would we not trust his steadfast love? Can we love a child 
who is afraid of love? Faithfulness with a child is what excellent foster parents do. Okay? They keep loving them even when the children do not return the love or even acknowledge it. Will not God be more faithful than any mere human being? Despite our sins and our rejection of Him and His love, we humans can let our sins pile up on us until we can hardly see through the fog. But if we remember that God has steadfast love for us, we can still properly respond to his love. We can give him praise and thanksgiving, even though we sin. If we depend on our faithfulness, we are in trouble. (laughs) If God had to love us only because of who we are, then there's no chance for us. None. It is his steadfast love that determines that he will love us. There's nothing we do or can do that compares to his hased or in any way contributes to it. God does not love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. He is the one who has true, eternal, steadfast love and can give it to us. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Some deny him. They never accept him or his gift of steadfast love ever. They never do. Never will. In all eternity, they never will. But one can't really be faithless unless one first had that faith. Paul's point, we're not lost even if we are faithless. Why? He will forever express said his loving kindness, his steadfast love, because he is good and he is faithful. Can we love a child with a fear of rejection? Can we express hased, steadfast love to them? Do we know the Lord who is God loves us in spite of our sin? How do we know he will have steadfast love for us? Because of who he is. But this psalm was written for Jews. How does the principle apply to us? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. A new commandment, Jesus? Weren't all people of God of all times always supposed to express loving kindness, steadfast love? Wasn't that always the case? This is a new said in Jesus' blood, that is to say, by his sacrifice. All people can now be his people, yes, and they have a new commandment for a new covenant. 
this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus said. A new has said, one that makes all peoples his people, one where all people can become his sheep in his pasture. But there's even more than that. Jesus prayed to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. All individual persons of a rational nature (laughs) have the capability to be similar to God, to share in his steadfast love, his chesed. Jesus prayed for those who use that capability to believe. I hope that would be all of us. And thus become one with God. And we don't become like God in nature, our ontology it's called. We have relationship with him. A relationship that will one day be face to face. And we know that he will never reject us because of who he is because of his steadfast love. And we become like him in his steadfast love. We become like God in our ability to express chesed, steadfast love, just like he does. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations.